Hello and welcome to the 25th episode of the Luminexus podcast. In this episode, we welcome Ariel Patton, the creator of the Topsoil newsletter, a monthly newsletter that outlines the frameworks that help make sense of agriculture. Ariel has worked on the driving digital transformation of agriculture to help farmers manage their businesses more profitably and sustainably with Monsanto, Granular, Corteva, and currently Mineral. In this episode with Ariel, we talk all about agriculture. We touch on the complexity of the agriculture space, innovations in the ag tech space, the status quo of agriculture, creating and integrating effective digital transformations into the agriculture industry, and making sustainable changes more economic. Super excited to get into this episode, and without further ado, let's dive right in. Thank you so much for joining us, Ariel. We are super excited to have you today. I mean, I'm massive agriculture fan, so I've been particularly excited for this uh, conversation. So thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be talking with you both. Yay. So I think... I wanted to start with probably you could call it stereotype misconception about agriculture. It's funny, like whenever I say to people that like I'm interested in agriculture, like I work in agriculture, kind of feel like I see them in their minds thinking like, oh, like agriculture, you know, kind of like this. I feel like there's this misconception that agriculture is like boring, like outdated, almost industry, which is literally just like farmers in the field, you know, digging dirt all day, which is true for many parts of the world. But it's also a bit of a misconception to the technical advancements in agriculture that now allow us to produce so much food. And this is kind of what you've been working in is like driving this whole digital transformation in agriculture that we see where now agriculture is actually like one of the most digitized like industries in the entire world, which is really cool. So I think I kind of wanted to start hearing your perspective on some of these really large innovations in agriculture that has changed in the past just few decades in the past little bit, how we grow food, how we farm, and just like how much food we're able to produce. Yeah, man, you touched on so many things. And I definitely agree with you on the the perception of agriculture versus the reality where, you know, the perception is it's very backwards, it's slow moving. And, and I think the reality is, and this is something that, you know, I've been exploring a lot in, in my newsletter and in my career is that there's Agriculture is so complex. There's so many technological advancements, as you mentioned, and it's so varied. You know, it's it's as variable as the climates in the world. In every place, there's, you know, agriculture is, is different. And so it's just a really endlessly fascinating industry that I'm really excited to be a part of. But to your question on kind of, you know, where is ag at today, you know, it makes it really exciting. So I think that today... Agriculture does remain in a lot of ways one of the the least digitized industries, as I think McKinsey did some study on on just digitization, but it's rapidly advancing. And I think that because it's an industry that requires so much physical infrastructure from, you know, the land to the equipment to all of the infrastructure needed to move physical products around the world, it takes time for, for a lot of these technology, you know, technological adaptations to to flow through the system. But what we're seeing is that there's a lot of new smart equipment. There's a lot of new tools for, you know, better data collection. And we're starting to see ways that that can actually help farmers on the ground, as well as all of the different players throughout the ag value chain and, you know, be able to produce more with less. 
and address a lot of the other issues that that intersect with agriculture from climate change to labor issues to nutrition. I think, you know, depending on what what you're interested in, agriculture can be a lever for a lot of these massive issues. No, I really like that a lot. I think like what you just said there about how it can be a like a lever for a bunch of different issues is really interesting. And I think that we see that in things like you can think about vertical farming, which is kind of addressing that issue of like agriculture takes up. I think it's, do you know the exact stat? I believe it's like 40% of the world's like arable lands, I think, or like- That sounds, that sounds right. It's a lot of, yeah, a lot of land and, and, and resources. Yeah. And I think what's also really cool is that there's there's no real like silver bullet, you know, but there's so many different approaches to some of these core challenges. And I think that's what's really interesting to me. Do you think that there is, is there one particular lever avenue like technology that you think could be the most impactful to solve a lot of these problems, whether that is like gene edited seeds, vertical farming, AI, ML, like there's all of these different ways that we can improve agricultural productivity, like use less lands, you know, increase uh, nutrients, decrease runoff. Is there one particular thing that gets you super excited about egg? That's a good question. I'm I'm excited by a lot of the things. I think it's probably going to be a combination of all of these different technologies coming together and, you know, these other motivations, you know, whether they're policy changes, changes driven by consumers and what we're demanding as consumers driving through all these changes. But from a technology perspective, I think there's like the top three, you know, that I'm just excited about today. And if you ask me in another month, there might be different ones, but and three that really come to mind, I think obviously like AI, machine learning, it's, it is, you know, so hot right now, but I really do believe that with some of the data challenges in agriculture, um, the data being very sparse, it being in different formats, depending on where it's coming from, different modes of data that are disconnected and often, you know, siloed. I think that there's a lot of potential that applying ML to some of these data challenges could actually help us get, you know, get somewhere really interesting. I think that in combination with a lot of the automation and robotics, we're seeing some really, really cool companies come out with a lot of different robotic solutions to help with this labor gap. A lot of farms really struggle to find labor to do kind of the basic tasks across the farm. And so it's really encouraging to see a lot of investment going into solving some of those challenges with robotics, with automation. And of course, like AI and ML applied to the robotics and automation. And then another one that's kind of separate, and I don't have any, you know, specific examples of this, but there's, there are some companies that are working on kind of like more of a closed loop system. So you know, companies that are working on turning dairy waste into algae that can then be fed back to the cattle. Like I think things like that, there's some really interesting thought going into to more of these closed loop systems that I'm really interested to see how they turn out. I love those a lot. And I think I've had a few conversations lately because I've been at South by Southwest and I've been talking with a lot of people in agriculture And I've asked different variations of this, like what kind of avenue do you think is the most effective, you know, agricultural productivity, these things. And I haven't heard anybody talking about 
like data with AIML. So could you just expand on that? I'm curious, like what kind of data do you think could like have the most leverage for this or that like you're kind of talking about with that first example you gave? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's been really interesting since, I mean, this has been going on for more data in farming is been been going on for a while since precision agriculture has been growing. Um, but I think in like 2013, Monsanto bought a company called Climate Corporation and and that really kicked off a lot of investment in driving kind of this digital revolution in agriculture. And so a lot of data has been generated at the farm level. So every, and I'm talking mostly, you know, US or other big farming economies that have a lot of technology on the farm, but large commodity grain operations, they will have planters and harvester combines that are generating so much data as the piece of equipment is going through the field. So there's data coming from that. There's data coming from soil samples. There's data coming from satellite images. There's data coming from all these different sources from, you know, farmers own accounting software, right? There's all all this different kind of data. And then there's all the data that the companies that are creating inputs for farmers are working, you know, have from their trials and their R&D and that kind of thing. So there's just imagine all this, these pieces of data sitting in all of these, you know, thumb drives in servers that are all disconnected. And I think the big promise has been once we get all this data, then there will be some really valuable insights that farmers and their agronomists can use to better manage the farm. And I think we've seen examples of that. There's definitely some companies that can do some really, really neat things with some of the satellite imagery, some of the the data coming off of the the equipment. Um, But I don't think that there's been anything really like game changing about about this yet. And so I think, um, you know, hopefully with some more of the data hygiene getting better with data becoming more linked together, then we get to a place where some of the AI and ML can be applied to it and, and hopefully yield some different insights to, to help farmers, you know, at that farm level, better manage their operations and um, potentially throughout the whole value chain, you know, at every link along the way, be able to, you know, be more efficient, have less waste, improved forecasting, you know, all of these things that could really incrementally help us have a better, better food system. I totally love that. And I think you did an amazing job at like kind of illustrating those possibilities that we have with dealing with data. But I think another thing that would be really helpful for viewers to kind of get an understanding of is like we see all these possibilities, but I think it's nice to kind of compare it to the status quo of how farmers manage their farms and their businesses. So would you like to go a bit deeper into that and um, kind of explain how it's traditionally done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. And I think that's actually, I'm so glad you asked that because a lot of times when uh, very, you know, tech forward companies come into agriculture, I think that's a a mistake people often make is is just assuming that, oh, with tech, we can definitely do it better. And I think in many times, yes, tech can make things better, whether that's incrementally or, you know, more than incrementally. But I think many times, like the way that people are, that farmers and others are doing things today, it works just fine, you know, given all of the constraints. So I think one of the pieces I wrote talks about, you know, what are the different seasons in agriculture and and what a, you know, typical commodity grain farm would do at these different points in the year. But at a high level, I think you can think about, 
you know, for an annual crop like corn or soybeans. And the reason why I mentioned those is because those are, you know, far and away the most acres in the world of a specific crop and, and particularly in the U.S. And so in a typical year, you have planting, which is, you know, coming up soon here in the in the northern hemisphere. The next season you have is kind of this growing season. There's harvest season um, that's typically around the fall. And then there's this off season where, you know, a lot of the maintenance and fertility work is, is done. And so in planting, seeds are getting in the ground. A lot of times farmers have very specific equipment to do that. It's very, very important to hit this critical window. As soon as the ground is warm enough, the conditions are right. They need to get that seed in the ground. They have very advanced planting, GPS-enabled planting equipment that does. In the growing season, they're really focused on protecting that crop. And so farmers typically work with a full team of other agronomists, some of their retail sales folks that help them on the farm. So they're monitoring the crop, making sure that if there's any pests, weeds, diseases, that those are addressed. If there's any damage that they can you know, mitigate any of those challenges. And then harvest, of course, they're trying to find exactly when is the best time that the, the grain is dry enough um, and ripe enough, et cetera, to be you know, harvested, dried down further as needed, and then um, either put into storage or sold. So I think that's, you know, at a very, very high level, a, a kind of a year in review. But at any of those seasons, farmers are applying different technologies, high tech, low tech, to get that job done, to get it done efficiently. And, you know, something that used to take a much larger percentage of, you know, the US population to, to accomplish now, 2% of Americans are farmers and and they're able to do kind of what used to be, you know, I want to say something like 10 to 20 or higher percent of, you know, the population, what it required them to do. No, that's really interesting. And like you mentioned how 2% of like Americans are farmers. And it's interesting to see how that like differs from a lot of like agrarian based countries, for example, like a lot of countries in Africa or like developing Asia where the majority, like over 80% are actually farmers, right? So it's like they're making their living from agriculture. And it's like all of these different facets of like these problems that you can see. Like, for example, like a country that I've researched a lot is like Malawi. So like 85% of the population are farmers, but yet like their yields are five times lower than North America. You know, it's crazy. And it's kind of like, I think that a big reason for that is because they don't have a lot of, they don't have like access to things like fertilizer, things like irrigation. A lot of these things, as you're saying, that now have made agriculture easier, quicker, and more efficient here in the Western world. So I guess what I'm interested to hear from you is what you kind of think the difference in, I don't even want to say solutions because that sounds like too big, but kind of like the difference in approaches that we kind of need to solve these different problems and I'm kind of saying this in quotation like problems in agriculture in like the global south compared to like here in the western world like how we need to be thinking about these two different very different geographical political social places to kind of like generate larger yields more improved agricultural productivity yeah yeah it's such an interesting question I think there's a lot of ethical questions like bundled into that as well and so I personally have mostly worked with farmers in the U.S., Canada, and Brazil and Argentina. So I'm I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to, you know, a lot of smallholder farming and, and what agriculture looks like in some of these other areas where it is 
much less mechanized, you know, less chemically intensive, et cetera. And so I think it's one of those things where agriculture has to fit the environment that it is, you know, suited for, like, whether that's the weather, the culture, all of these different, the markets that are available. So I would say that's the only thing I know for sure is that there's a lot of local specifics and I've seen a lot of solutions that works really, really well in one area that just completely fall flat on their face when, when they go to a new region because of, of these different norms. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those things that it's a really tough question and I don't really have a good answer for. Yeah, yeah. that and that's an interesting point. Outside of just environmental issues, though, or not issues, but like, you know, differences in terms of different countries and stuff like that, um, that make, I guess, these solutions very complex. There's also just like the agriculture, like system, or like you've talked about in some of your work, like the value chain, that's pretty complex as well. Because typically for people who aren't really into the agriculture space, the value chain kind of looks like, you know, farmers give us this food, they get the crops and stuff like that, and it goes straight to us. But there's a lot more to that, a lot more um, players in that field. And um, I think it would be really interesting to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that and go over those different aspects. Yeah, I think that's spot on where, you know, at a farm level, the farmer is really looking to like, they have to produce a crop that's, you know, profitable for them. And and there's a lot that goes into that. And so, yeah, Sarah, as you mentioned, there's kind of this whole value chain. And, you know, if you buy your farm, your food at a farmer's market, it's kind of like farmer, consumer, there's two people, super simple. But I think for the majority of the food that at least we in the in US, Canada, there's a whole value chain. And so I think the, the way that I think about it, there's different actors that are different major companies that support and serve farmers. And so that's everything from like input companies that produce seed, crop protection, fertilizer. Sometimes they sell directly to farmers. Sometimes they sell through an intermediary called the retailers that also provide agronomic services. They'll potentially also apply these inputs for farmers and they provide that level of service. So the farmers, they're the ones, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. A lot of times they'll own or rent land. They grow the crop. Once they have the crop, one of the things that farmers really have to figure out is like, how do they market their crop? How are they going to sell what they have grown? Whether they're, you know, a specialty fruit veg grower or your commodity grain grower, you have to be able to sell what you grow. And so at least for commodity grains, there's, they call them colloquially like the ABCDs because there's four main companies that that do a lot of the grain trading and commodity trading. Their initials start with A, B, C, and D. So Farmers will often sell to those companies who then process that grain into different products that you find in, in your snack aisle. They'll sell those ingredients to other consumer packaged good companies like your Lay's or PepsiCo or any, you know, any of those types of companies that produce a lot of different snack foods and foods. A lot of that grain is processed into animal feed and a lot of it is then also processed into ethanol or other biofuels. And so then you as a consumer consume, you know, those are much more recognizable things that that you and I would consume. But yeah, it's this whole very convoluted chain that actually gets a lot of, you know, the global production. It's very complex. And I think the other piece is like, it's very consolidated in terms of the number of different companies within each of those segments. So I think that that's just something that's really interesting when you think about 
at every link of this chain, it's relatively consolidated. And I'm talking like fewer than 10 companies have more than half the market share for most of those steps, at least in, in the US. And farmers being kind of the only link in that chain where, you know, I think it's something like 64,000 farmers represent about half of the, you know, market there. So just a really interesting aspect that makes agriculture really unique. That's really interesting. I know, like, I haven't heard of it, as you have explained it, like with the four, like the A, B, C, and D, but I have kind of heard that there's like these, you said like these 10 companies that kind of own the majority of the share. Like, is there a or, big? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, yeah. Go ahead. So like kind of for the input companies, for example, you know, between Syngenta Corteva and Bayer, those three companies hold roughly, you know, more than half of all of the seed and crop protection sales in the US. You know, so it's like at every one of these linkages, like the retailers, there's about seven that do 50% of, um, you know, the business uh, in the US. And so at every one of those stages, or every link in that chain, it's it's relatively consolidated, which, you know, if you think about it from the farmer's perspective, like their bargaining power in terms of who they buy from and then who they can sell to, they kind of really have to be strategic because there there's a lot of pressure on both sides of the contracts that they're able to negotiate on the selling side as well. So we've talked a little bit about kind of the status quo, how the system works right now, how complex it is, but you have like worked a lot in space with like digital transformations with these different like farmers businesses and stuff like that. And just generally in the agriculture space. And I would love to kind of dive deeper into some, we've talked about different technologies that can play a role in this, but some more specific examples of digital transformations that you've seen and how the process kind of went and how they made it so seamless to where it can still work really well and integrate well into how farmers actually run their farms and businesses and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of cases where I've seen a lot that doesn't work, you know, and, and I've seen a lot that, that has helped farmers just run their business more efficiently and, and have more information at their fingertips when they're trying to make really difficult decisions about their operations. And I think there's a couple things that, that I've learned over the past several years with that. So one is any of these changes that require a farmer or their staff to, to make you know, if they have to do something differently, like it's really, really hard to get people to change behaviors. I mean, that's not just farmers, that's like anybody, right? And so there really has to be some some ROI, some return on investment for farmers to spend their additional time and energy to either enter data or make sure that the data coming off of a piece of equipment makes it into the cloud and, and is uploaded appropriately. Like all of that takes time and effort and a lot of when I was working at um, a company called Granular and we made software for farmers to help them kind of manage the business side of, of their operations, a lot of what we did was really just helping to facilitate some of these like, like very basic things of like capturing data, making sure it's accurate as it comes off pieces of equipment, making sure it all gets into one place. And so things that seem, you know, really kind of foundational that's where a lot of like the digital transformation that sounds so, you know, exciting, like that's where it really begins. Like it has to begin where good data is coming, coming in. And so that's a lot of what we spent time on and making sure that there's ROI, making sure that, that any behavioral change that occurs, like that it's as frictionless as possible. And so, you know, some of the things that we would see is once farmers did have 
a season or two of data collected, they could more easily look back at prior years and know exactly what the break even was on a certain farm or a certain acre. And, and that was really helpful for them as they made decisions about purchases in the upcoming year. So it helped them be a little bit more financially sustainable in terms of like really feeling confident about some of the decisions that they would make. So I think those were, you know, very small wins, but in the big scheme of things, I think it helped, you know, help them run better businesses. And, and I think that has a compounding effect over time. Absolutely. No, that's super interesting. And I think like the ROI point is kind of similar to something like if we talk about agriculture, we're like in the next, whatever, like a couple decades by 2050, like this arbitrary number, you know, we want agriculture to use like X percent, less resources, less water, less land, like basically make it so that it doesn't produce 30% of greenhouse gases. But it's interesting that a lot of these more environmentally like sustainable approaches to agriculture, they a lot of times like they cost farmers a lot more money. So it's like, it's not even like, it doesn't make economic sense for them to use things like organic fertilizer when a lot of times it's more expensive. It isn't as like efficient. So even though like it would be more like sustainable, it's like they don't, they're not really getting like that ROI that you're talking about. So like, what do you think kind of needs to change in our approach so that we can make a lot of these more like sustainable approaches to agriculture more like economic for farmers? Or or like, I guess, do you think that it's possible to reduce like the environmental impact of egg while making it so that it's attractive for like farmers to choose? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's such a good question. And, and I'm really hopeful on this point because I think that with some of the different headwinds that we're facing with, you know, more volatile weather with supply chains and the, you know, Ukrainian-Russian conflict that that there's a lot higher fertilizer prices and, and there's just a lot of these kind of black swan events that are creating these situations, which we're obviously, you know, wish it weren't, wish it were much easier and, you know, a better, better situation on all fronts. But I think what it is causing is that a lot of the financial incentives are are actually lining up well with the being really efficient with inputs and resources. And so, you know, farmers are thinking really, really critically about what inputs that they're applying because it's it's frankly just really expensive and they have to be really, you know, thoughtful stewards both of their land but also of just their farm as a business. So I think there's some incentive alignment there. I love that a lot of the conversation in the past few years has also started to move towards where farmers are part of the solution for a lot of climate change where we're seeing um soil as a place where have Having organic matter in the soil, we've known it's great from a, you know, crop fertility point of view, but it's also now being acknowledged that that's a a great carbon sink. And so I think that also creates other ways that those incentives can get aligned for farmers to be able to be part of that solution. So I don't know that there's, again, there's like no silver bullet of like, great, if we just have this one subsidy or this one policy or this one technology, then it will all be better. But I do think that there's a lot of these things that are happening where it like more with more with less is kind of like the industry rallying cry right now. But I do think there's something to that of where if farmers are able to produce more efficiently, that is, you know, better for the environment as well. 
I think like one, I mean, I could go on about this for days, but one last question that I'm kind of curious also to hear from you is this stat that I think has been a lot like glamorized almost in kind of the media a lot lately, which is like, we need to produce 75% more food by 2050 to like feed everyone on the planet. And that's kind of crazy to think about. Like, I think even on like the mineral website I was reading, I think it said like we, we need to produce more food in the next 50 years than we have in the last 10,000 years. Like that's wild to me. I'm like, how are we going to do this? And I guess it's a very big, I'm sorry for the big blanket questions in this, but it's like, do you think that, is it a matter of, and again, as you, I think that it's kind of a theme in this is that there is no silver bullet. There's no one thing, but yeah, that's kind of the question. I guess one other area in that question is also, do you think that it's like improving efficiency, like increasing yields, improving productivity, or is it more like actually just reducing inefficiencies, you know, like not wasting as much? We know how much of the food we actually waste right on the farm, in our own homes, and like throughout the entire, you know, supply chain as we've talked about. So that is my question. It's kind of like, how are we going to kind of accomplish this? crazy feat which I don't even know how where it's like how are we going to actually produce this 75% increase in like the amount of food that we produce yeah I think it's a it's a really big question and and yeah I think you nailed it where there's probably it's going to take a lot of different solutions and a, and a lot of a lot of creative thinking to to get there and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm super excited to be working in ag and I would love for more talented people like yourselves to also be, you know, it, it's really exciting to see that you're also very interested in, in working in ag too. And because I think it's going to take a lot of different approaches to get there. I think, Rachel, I don't know, or, or Sierra, I don't know if you guys have read this book called The Wizard and the Prophet, but it's one that's, it talks about kind of these dueling visions of the future of we're either going to, you know, be a wizard and, and get us ourselves through it through kind of this technological advancement or we're going to be more of like the prophet and we're going to farm like our grandparents and you, you know go back to the simpler time and get there that way and I think as you read it it's less of a clear-cut dichotomy but I think one of the things that stuck with me from that is that there's probably a lot of these different methods that it's not just going to be purely through technological might and it's not going to be by, you know, just simpler times that that we can get to a better future in that. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of different approaches. And, and again, with agriculture being so different in different parts of the world, I think a lot of these different approaches need to be really, you know, made for that, that area and, and be developed for specific regions. Oh my gosh, that sounds like so cool. Yeah, it does. And I think kind of explained how it relates to agriculture pretty well. And I think kind of anything's off here on a tangent of more philosophical stuff. I think here, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is that, okay, so if you had a magic wand, and this magic wand gave you the power to change or improve anything in the world with the flick of your wrist, what is the one thing you would change or improve about the world? Now, it doesn't just have to be about agriculture, it can be anything, but really, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, there's so many different, <laughs> different approaches to that. I think that one, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is 
and I kind of mentioned this earlier, is that I think bringing more talent into agriculture, I think there's so many wonderful, talented people that already work in ag and, and really come from, you know, come from farms and really understand that world. And I think for a lot of folks who are new to agriculture, it can feel very daunting. Agriculture has a lot of very unique nuances that make it a pretty steep learning curve. But I think there's so much opportunity. There's just a lot of really big problems to to tackle that I would love if, you know, more people went into agriculture applied, especially, you know, thinking about all the interesting scientific aspects of uh, agriculture. I think that there's just a lot of room and a lot of opportunity and, and a lot of need that we could all benefit from if there were more people that were in this industry. I love that so much. And um, thank you so much, Ariel. Um, we had so much of a good time just and, and so much insights that came from this conversation. We talked originally about just, you know, how complex the agricultural space is and kind of touched a little bit on the different innovations and things that you're excited about, with you know, data, machine learning, robotic flows, loop systems and stuff like that. Then we kind of moved a little bit into more of the status quo, understanding the different seasons and the value chains and stuff like that. And we started talking about, you know, digital transformation and how there has to be a good ROI for solutions to really be implemented and for farmers to actually use. And then we kind of touched a little bit on those sustainable changes and how they can be a bit more economic to farmers. And then we kind of went into more of this like philosophical questions that are definitely interesting to answer, but I think you answered them amazingly. Again, so many insights that came from this episode, truly incredible. And we are so happy that we had you on the show. Thank you both so much. This was such a fun conversation.